Welcome to FoxCast Physical Therapy, a podcast for clinicians made by clinicians. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Find out more at foxrehab.org. Last of our TED presenters tonight, I'd like you to help me welcome her to the stage, the Public Affairs Director of Quality at the American Physical Therapy Association. That's her gigantic title. But her nickname is the Quality Quarterback. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Heather Smith. So first of all, uh, thank you so much for having me this evening, and it's a complete honor to follow my esteemed colleagues uh, here. And uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Dieter for putting me last because there's no pressure on this talk at all. Here is the good news. I am not going to talk about MIPS. Okay. Yep, I thought you guys would be very relieved. Uh, I'm not going to discuss that subject at all. Uh, however, I am going to talk about data because I'm a data geek. For those of you who know me, uh, this is a really large passion in my life, and I was the clinician who was a very young PT, ran around the clinic and tried to standardize everything we collected. God, I'm sure my colleagues hated me. But I actually think that what we document every day is incredibly powerful, and we have not harnessed the data that we collect in ways that can really catapult us forward to navigate some of the waters that many of the presenters have talked about tonight. So I'm going to talk about data-driven practice. But we've been sitting for a long time, so I'm going to ask for a little audience participation. I'd like everybody to stand up. Let's move a little. And I would like you to remain standing if you consider yourself someone who loves data. Be honest, there's no, I'm not taking credit away. Okay, now for those of you that are still standing, okay, remain standing. For those of you who sat down, for those of you who are seated right now, I want you to stand back up if any of you wear a smartwatch or use a phone to track any type of personal data. Exercise, steps, I compete with my family, my friends. Wow, shocking. Here's the thing, guys. Data can be fun, and I think we say data, and everyone goes, ew, data. All right, sit back down. So uh, I appreciate that Dr. Guccione thought I was going to come up here and talk about payment. No way. Not going to touch that, but I am going to talk about data. So here's the thing. We are in a rapidly evolving healthcare system. We have a number of issues, as Dr. Nash just discussed, and... Data really is our commodity. We do a lot of documentation every day. And uh, actually, uh, I was doing an interview maybe three years ago now with uh, Dr. McKay. And he said to me, wait a second. That's all this stuff I put in the chart, I can, that's useful in a large way, like in a big data way? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, we're going to need to get better at this, though. And I want to talk a little bit more tonight by what I mean about that. So what you see here on the slide is a diagram that we've used at APTA for a number of years just to try to help folks understand what's happening in payment. And, you know, again, this is just supposed to be a depiction of kind of where we're going. And again, Dr. Nash talked about this just briefly in his talk. Um, you know, really, we are coming out of a system where we were paid strictly on the volume of the services that we build. And we're trying to move towards a place where we actually look at the value that we're delivering. And that requires data. Now, when we launched this infographic, we wanted to try to get our arms around where are physical therapists 
in this spectrum. And we created a little quiz. It's voluntary, it's online on our website. And when we looked at the first set of data in 2017, we got super pumped because 10% of therapists identified themselves in being some type of value-based payment. Now, value-based payment can be lots of things. If you've seen one model, you've seen one model. But we were excited about that. Then we got the 2018 data, and we got a little depressed because those numbers went down. There's lots of reasons why that might be. At that time, we saw, you know, certainly I think Medicare was one of the big drivers of trying to shift towards uh, value-based payment, and we had a kind of a pullback on some of the models, like the joint replacement model, and they held off in implementing a number of other models. Perhaps that's why. Perhaps it's just, you know, bias from those who answered this questionnaire online. Nonetheless, it's a little concerning because we'd like to think that we're moving in a direction and we're ready to go there. So let's talk briefly about what you guys do every day. You do documentation, right? Typically what happens, and I would argue that the best practicing therapists collect a lot of data on their patients, right? We do a number of different tests and measures, PTs, OTs, speech therapists. We do a number of different tests and measures. Typically, historically, that data has lived in our charts. We haven't really leveraged that. We haven't aggregated that data and started to ask questions about our practice or use that data really to improve the quality of care that we deliver to our patients. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is registries, um, also health systems and large organizations really start to build a data infrastructure to answer these questions, to look at the outcomes of care that they have, to look at cost and efficiency. It's really the first time, though, that many clinicians have started to have access to data by the population level. So what do all of my patients who have Parkinson's look like? What is an expected outcome? How much of a gain are we making? How many visits do we typically see them for? I was a clinician when I started, obviously, but then my career took me to do very specific work in quality improvement. And I used to say when I worked in the quality division of large academic institutions that the first two minutes of any conversation when you lay data down in front of any practitioner, you kind of have to go deaf because the stages of death and dying happen immediately. Oh my God, that's not my data. Then there's bargaining. Then they're talking about, well, you didn't pull it right. That can't possibly be it right. In our heads, I think, as therapists, we believe this is who we are. We believe we are delivering the best care and that our patients are getting better. But I would challenge us that when we really start to look at it, the reality is there's room for improvement, right? When you start to really aggregate that data and look across patient populations, we will find that there's variations in practice. We will find, and, and it's not necessarily bad. I think, you know, we color code these things and we put things in red and green so that it's easy to digest. It's very you know, easy for you to interpret and know what kind of action you need to take. You still need to look at this, though, as an opportunity. I don't think red is necessarily bad. It just lets us know that there's room for improvement there. Um, when I worked in large academic institutions, and I worked for two who were very high performers, I think high perfor the highest performers actually ask the most questions about themselves and challenge themselves the most, and that's what keeps us high performers. So don't be scared of the red, see it as an opportunity. Now let's talk a little bit more, because I hate to talk about data in this way as the last speaker of the night, but I'm gonna do it anyways. Uh, so here's a program that all of you are happy no longer exists. 
functional limitation reporting. Yeah, we're happy that's not around. But I do want to talk about a study that we looked at. Um, I was one of the authors on this paper with uh, Dr. Megan Warren. And we actually looked at the data from Medicare in 2014, and we said, what, how, how frequently are we really collecting this data? Now, you guys remember this, right? It was mandated. It was required as part of payment. So we would expect we did really well with our data collection. Not so much. What we found in this study, again, mandated collection of data, that at 92% of all cases had data on evaluation, which I think is great. Here's the problem. The follow-up intervals, 10 to 12% had data. Discharge, 37%. 37%, I actually was happy with that number. I, I'm, I was the, with the 2% person. Um, I'm probably the pessimist in the group. But here's the thing, if we're looking at outcomes, we need those data points. We need to consistently collect that data in a standardized fashion in order to demonstrate our outcomes. So this is an area of opportunity. What does it look like now? Is it better? No, I'm sorry to say that in, a, in another article that was actually, uh, we, did our, we were involved in a study recently with a large group of stakeholders looking at strictly outpatient data Patient-reported outcome measures, very common in the orthopedic population, like the Oswestry, the DASH, the Neck Disability Index. And what we found when we looked at these cases, over 4 million episodes, is about 13% had discharge data. 13%. Let that sink in for a second. That's a problem. That's an opportunity for us. Even more worrisome for me in this study, um, we actually also looked at a number of other data points. Because when we look at outcomes in care, we also need to look at very um, specific characteristics of our patients. We need to understand, obviously, straightforward things like their age, their gender, but we also may want to know things like their body mass index. Um, you know, what kind of comorbidities they have. Their zip code. Other things that we may want to use to risk adjust these outcomes to really be able to effectively compare our patients. And actually in this study, we ran three different risk models and found that only about 5,000 total cases had all the data we needed to look at that. So four million episodes, 5,000 cases. So what that means is that we have a massive opportunity here to really think about documentation as something that we don't just do to get paid. We do it to demonstrate the value that we bring to our patients. And I know it's tough when we talk about things like MIPS because it doesn't feel like that's valuable. But remember, there are many, many things that you guys are doing on a daily basis that will demonstrate the value to the patients that you treat. So really, I think my message for everyone is, you know, the data is really critical as we move forward in these value-based payment models. Um, it is the currency of the future. And I know you all have done a lot of work here to look at, at data and the outcomes in the patients you treat. Um, but I cannot emphasize enough to all of you who treat on a daily basis how important it is. You know, as a clinician, um, you know, I really, I get it, I can relate. But again, it's not something that we do uh, routinely 
um, throughout the course of care, it is something that I think we have to work very hard um, to get more consistent and more standardized. So uh, the father of uh, quality improvement, uh, W. Edwards Deming said, in God we trust, all others bring data. Thank you. Thanks for listening to FoxCast PT. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Fox clinicians work hard, love their work, and get the respect they deserve. Sound good? Then you'll love the autonomy to work in your own style and the support you get to achieve excellence. Plus, freedom and flexibility to have a personal life. Whether it's your first day or you've been around for a while, your contribution is acknowledged and rewarded. That's what makes Fox a success. Happy, well-trained clinicians make great healthcare. Are you a fit for Fox? Find out now at foxrehab.org.